listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, The Temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To to you I give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Thanks, Cindy. Good morning, everyone. So as you can probably hear in my voice, and as you've probably heard for like the last month or so, I am still not quite over this sickness I've been struggling with. Um, And like good surrogate parents, a number of you have said, did you call the doctor? That's what I keep hearing. I'm happy to tell everyone, though, that I did call the doctor this past week, and they were closed because of the cold. <clears throat> so this is what happens when you wait four weeks to call a doctor, I guess. Uh, I am hoping to get in to see a doctor early next week, because I think at this point there's, there's more going on than just a cold. Um, but I am feeling good. I'm feeling good today. Um, and our passage for today is a pretty wild one. Like, as, as Bible stories go, you don't get more intense than Jesus squaring off with Satan. (laughs) And just to kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about for the next uh, little bit, I want to zoom in on the opening sentence of this passage because it is eye-opening. It'll be on the screens. Think about this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days... He was tempted by the devil. That is quite an opening line. Like, this raises some questions. I think there might be some implications here that some of us might not be quite comfortable with. Can the Holy Spirit lead a person into temptation? I thought we prayed for the opposite. What exactly is the relationship here between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and the devil? Is this a passage, is this like a one-time thing that happens to Jesus, or does it happen to us as well? 
Just to kind of explain the immediate context, Jesus is returning from the Jordan River where he was baptized. And it's at that point that the Holy Spirit immediately leads him into the wilderness to face this test. We have our baptism class later today, our baptism and membership class. I know there are some folks in this room right now who are thinking about getting baptized. So if nothing else, this is a passage that reminds us that if you think baptism is going to solve all your problems, you know, make life really easy, get rid of all the temptation and sin that you struggle with, you might want to rethink that understanding of baptism a little bit. But there's also a word of comfort here. A lot of times when we're in the midst of our own wilderness experiences, when God seems far away and uh, we're struggling, it feels like the walls are closing in on us, it's easy to assume that we've done something wrong, that it's our fault, that we've missed the mark, that we've messed up and now God is punishing us. But sometimes the wilderness experience comes when we're on the right track. It can be in those moments when we are drawing nearest to God, working for justice, answering God's call on our lives, taking a stand that brings scorn from friends and loved ones. Those are the moments when the forces of darkness and evil can really close in on us. And it doesn't mean that God is distant. It means God is near. It means we're closer to God than ever. And in Jesus, we serve a God who actually knows what it feels like to wander in the wilderness, which is good news. Now, some people, especially like, like modern, enlightened folks, will really struggle with this passage just because the devil is a main character. Even for many Christians, this idea of a, be- a being who is the literal embodiment of evil is kind of a hard concept for some to wrap our minds around. And if that's you, I want to honor that. It's all right to struggle and wrestle and ask questions. And if you are someone who finds it hard to believe that the devil exists and is the ruler of this present age, I submit to you that the New England Patriots (laughs) are going to the Super Bowl again. That was for you, Bill. (laughs) I knew it. Go Patriots. There it is. There it is. Mm. Okay. Serious face. I think a lot of our problem, though, with the devil today is due to the fact that a lot of modern notions of the devil are grounded more in, like, Hollywood and movies than in the Bible. Even many Christians, we get our ideas about Satan from, like, Paradise Lost and like Dante's Inferno, more so than from, like, the book of Job. But when we look at Jesus' Bible, when we look at the Old Testament, we find that the Satan character is not exactly what a lot of us expect. It's not this pitchfork-wielding lord of the underground, or the underworld. Satan actually isn't even a name in Hebrew, it's a title. It means something like the accuser or the prosecutor. So Satan is basically like a lawyer, if we can think of it in that way. I hope there's no lawyers here. I'm sorry. (coughs) Patriot fans and lawyers, you're getting it hard today. 
I won't, I won't do any more. I'm sorry. And the Satan's role in the Old Testament, it's always the Satan, is to test the faithful. That's what the accuser, that's what the prosecutor does. The Satan shows up to see if God's people are actually going to practice what they preach. Are we the real deal or are we faking it? That's what we see in the book of Job. Really famous example. Job's this righteous man. He's faithful to God. But then the accuser shows up in the heavenly court and raises a challenge. Well, of course Job is faithful. His life has been so easy. Look at how you've blessed him. You take away those blessings, and he will curse you to your face. And we see the same sort of thing going on with the serpent in the Garden of Eden, who a lot of people identify as Satan, even though it's actually never explicitly stated in Genesis 1, but that's a different sermon. Adam and Eve are following God. They're living in paradise. They're God's representatives on earth. But then the accuser shows up and starts raising questions. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil, uh, good and evil, you won't really die. With these stories as our backdrop, the devil's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness actually makes a lot of sense. Jesus has just been declared the Son of God twice in the two passages leading up to this. The baptism and the genealogy, it explicitly says Jesus is the Son of God. And so now the accuser shows up to test this Son of God and see if he's really as good as we think he is. And there are a ton of parallels between Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve's temptation. There's a very deliberate point-counterpoint being made here. Adam was tempted in a lush garden. Jesus is in the wilderness. Adam had all the food he wanted. He'd been told to eat freely of every tree but one. Jesus hasn't eaten a thing in 40 days, and he's famished. Adam was tested at his strongest point, but Jesus, the new Adam, is tested at his lowest. And we get to see how he does. The first temptation for both Adam and Jesus centers on food. If you want to hit someone where it hurts, hit them with food. I know that if, if I was tempted with like pizza or a piece of cheesecake, I'm not sure how I would fare with that one. For Adam, it was the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for Jesus, the temptation is, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread and eat. But there's even more going on here than just hunger and food. This is about power. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given free reign. He could eat of any tree. There was just one tree, one spot in the garden that was sacred, that was supposed to exist apart, of, apart from human meddling 
and human consumption. One spot human beings were just supposed to stay out of. And Adam violated it. And here in our passage in Luke, the devil's trying to get Jesus to use his power to take this rock, probably been sitting there for like centuries, maybe millennia, and destroy it. Violate it. Turn it into bread, not to feed hungry masses, not to do some kind of big miracle to like bring people to repentance, but to satiate his own appetite. And Jesus responds, one does not live on bread alone. When was the last time you checked your consumption habits? What hungers have you given into? What appetites have you lived out (laughs) without regard for how it impacted other people? We talked about this, for those of you uh, on Tuesday who are at our Isaiah Bible study. In the opening chapter of Isaiah, you have this warning of judgment that's coming. And it's all because God's people have overlooked the poor. They've failed to live justly. They've allowed their desires to run rampant in God's creation. And I shared this at the Bible study. Here I am, a pastor, trying to lead this church, trying to faithfully follow Jesus, and I know my clothes are made in sweatshops. I know this phone has components that were mined in very unethical ways in parts of the world that are far poorer than we are here. How radically would it really change our lives? And how radically could it impact the lives of others if we actually took this stuff seriously and followed Jesus' example? If we truly believe that human beings don't live by bread alone or by discounted clothes from cheap places or discounted electronics, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, have mercy. The second temptation is probably the most explicit with this whole power question. Look at the kingdoms of the world. I control it all. And I will give all that power and authority to you if you'll worship me. And I have to confess, I thought about preaching the entire sermon on just this temptation. Nothing has done more to damage the gospel and the church's stance in our world than our quest as Christians for worldly power and authority. We have compromised so much betrayed so much of what God calls us to as God's people just by trying to hold on to our influence. This is one of the oldest temptations of the the church. You can go back to uh, ancient Rome as that became more and more Christian. You can look at the colonial powers in Europe. We've fallen for this temptation, this lore of worldly power, time and time again, giving up our call to serve God alone in response to the devil's uh, offer of influence. 
Lucky for us, though, Jesus wasn't so easily swayed. And as a result of his faithfulness, Jesus was given all power and authority by God, not by taking it by force, but by giving it up. It's kind of this ironic twist in the Jesus story. Paul puts it in this way in Philippians 2, which will be on the screen. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a great poem. And it reveals to us that we don't need to play the power games of this world. We don't need to cozy up with the rich and the powerful, sell out to politicians in exchange for legislation that reshapes society and our image. The church is already the greatest hope the world has ever known. We don't need worldly power because we have the gospel. We have the truth that God is rescuing this world in Christ, inviting all people to follow him and inviting all of us to be a part of that. And that's not a message to be declared through force. That's a message that we must live out day after day through Christ-shaped, self-sacrificial love and grace. We need to empty ourselves, worshiping God alone. And then we get to the final temptation. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the top of the temple, and surely God will save you. This cuts to the heart of probably the deepest, darkest lie that God's people can believe about ourselves or be tested with. It's the lie that God doesn't really care about us. God doesn't really love us. We're not really God's children. We don't belong. That was at the heart of Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden. Remember, God told them to freely eat of all the trees but one. That's a pretty generous God. But the serpent makes Adam and Eve question that generosity. Did God say you couldn't eat from any tree? Like, the answer to that should be easy, right? No. God said the opposite of that. But it doesn't take much to get us to question God's love for us, unfortunately. So if you're here today, I have news for you. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. God has called you. God wants to work through you. You already belong. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe for one moment that you don't belong here. Jesus defeated the devil's temptations. 
in his life and ministry, Jesus revealed that all people are called to enter into God's family. That God loves each and every one of us. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus exposed the biggest lie of all, that death has some sort of power over us. It doesn't. In Christ, death has been defeated. Death has no power because we have access to eternal life. That's what we celebrate at this table every month. We come here to acknowledge that we are all welcome, that we all belong, that we are all called to enter into this story of Jesus and the church. And we all have access to the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that he emptied himself, becoming like us, battling with temptation, even going to the cross, so that we could have eternal life. May we stay strong against the lies of the evil one. May we learn to live on every word that comes from your mouth, Lord. May we learn to resist the lure of worldly power. And may we learn to trust in you and in your love and faithfulness to us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.